listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. These are the stories of Australia's men and women's coaches, the people that we give the responsibility to to develop our players and teams. We've had some wonderful people on the show thus far, and today is no different to that. Welcome, Michael Vakanis, Assistant Coach of the Greek National Team. Mickey, great to have you. Thanks, Gary. Thank you very much for having me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to the chat. Yeah, let's get you introduced properly first and uh, and we'll jump in. Michael uh, obviously had a stellar playing career, started with um, a very famous club hit down here in Melbourne called South Melbourne Hellas, 50 games there before heading off to Greece and had 100 games with Larissa, a 300-game professional career that saw him go back uh, initially to Adelaide City and then, and then Adelaide United with a formation of the, the A-League. A wonderful career there. Um, and he flowed from that career... Um, in Adelaide United into his coaching career through the youth team as an assistant and then head coach um, and then an assistant with a senior team uh, and an acting uh, head coach role there and before moving across to Melbourne City and then going with JVS across to PV um, Pexwall uh, and now he's in Athens, Greece. So after all that, welcome Michael Vokanis. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks Gary. Now great to be on here mate. Like I said, I'm looking forward to the chat been a, uh, an adventurous journey so far and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Yeah. Mate, I, I, I didn't realise you'd been at um, um, Adelaide City for, for 13 years. Oh, sorry, Adelaide United yeah. for 13 years in doing the research for this. Obviously, you, you went back to Adelaide. 13 years is a long time for a Melbourne boy. You obviously had a career in Europe. You got married. You've got four boys. You were over the moon, I heard you talking, when you moved from Adelaide to to Melbourne and, and got to be around family again. And then a year later, you're on the road to Holland and um, and now Greece. I guess that's the life of a, of a professional football coach, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, we, we often talk about it with my wife, Anita, where there's no real home. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like we, we can't actually – we bought a house while we are in Melbourne. We lived in it for about six months and, and we took off and yeah. we never – we enjoyed it for the six months, but it's and we don't know if we're going to go back to it. We just don't yeah. know where any coaching journey can take you. So that's that's all always a little bit of a downside. But there's always an upside to all this that you know you're you're going to different parts of the world. You're meeting so many people. You're seeing so many different cultures and learning so much. And even for the kids, it's been a great adventure. Um, so we're 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 continuing. And, and if you're going to be a coach and you want to be a career coach and, and travel the world and, and be at the mecca of football, I think, Europe. You know, you, yeah. It's going to be like this, yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, obviously, um, you're working with um, John Vance Ship at, at Melbourne City and uh, I'm guessing you developed a great relationship there because he invited you to, to Holland with him and you went to Holland and then he invited you to join him with the Greek national team. So, um that, that must be a wonderful working relationship you've got with John. Yeah, we Melbourne City, when I went, we, we, we clicked with our philosophy and the type of football that, that I believe, you know, and I want my team to play. So we, we clicked straight away and it was very easy to work. And and even as, as people in normal life, we, we clicked. He's a, he's a great person. He's, a, he's, a, you know, he's just so down to earth and really easy to get along with. And we enjoy each other's company, even away from football and, and 
trying as much as we can when we not don't talk about football because we do, we talk about it so much. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter whether we go for, for dinner with our wives. A conversation always comes up, you know, about football in our team and what we have to try and achieve and what we're, we're planning for. But yeah, we we clicked, we clicked, yeah. and um, it's been a, a really great working relationship since then. And and he also is a is a real good manager in terms of allowing me to be who I want to be as a coach as well and gives me a lot of responsibility and a, and a lot of room to work and uh, hence why I'll, you know, I've continued to work with him because I'd love yeah. to be a head coach at some stage again. I really, uh, when you taste being a head coach, you, you love it. And, and yeah. you know, but, you know, working with JBS also gives you an opportunity to, to, to be that and, and I enjoy yeah. working yeah, that's great. Mick, let's just roll back. This is not about your playing career, but you yeah. obviously had a professional career in Europe and then and then came back to Australia. Where were you on your playing journey uh, where you came across the coach that had the most influence on you that sort of you, you went, well, this is, this is something I might like to do? Yeah, look, I, I think it was while I was playing uh, in Greece, I realised I was around about 25, 26, where I realised um, it was it was so tactical compared to playing in the old NSL, um, where everything seemed a little bit more simple as as a player and what we were told to do on a on a given Sunday, and the information we were given on that on that given Sunday to play a game, um, and then you know I journeyed across to Greece and. There was so much information, and the tactical side was 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 a lot. And then I started to realise, you know, the way the the game is. There's so much to it than just you know putting on your boots and playing. And I think there was a lot of different coaches that that started to influence me, but one in particular, and uh, even he wasn't directly my coach at the time, but I was a youth player at South Melbourne. Yeah. And I loved the way he spoke. I loved how he communicated, even to me as a young player that would go and train with 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 my heroes at the time when I was a youth player. And I'd go every Thursday to play a game in the, in the eleven v eleven, the internal game was was Ferenc Puskas as well. You know, yeah. I, I and I say, and I used his line once, even in my with my youth team when they went down two 0 at half time. You know, I, I remembered him. Saying it to Mehmet Drakovic, and uh, and I used it, and it was you know they they score one, we score two, they score two, we score three, they score three, we score four. That's football, and yeah. you know the boys went on to win that game four two, and and I'll always remember that, and that's what the game is about, and that's how I love seeing the game. It's an attacking game. It's a game about scoring goals. It's about you know being creative and and the players enjoying themselves, and I always like to say to our players as well, wherever I coach or. When I was with the youth or seniors, is players want to be like how they were when they were kids, only that they've got yeah. a, a lot more rules when they're playing and there's a lot more structure, but to enjoy themselves and play free. Because when, yeah. when we played as kids in the park or at school, yeah, it was all about dribbling and scoring goals and celebrating and having fun. And the game should be that even at the highest level, of course, with the coach's <laughs> point of view, <laughs> there's a little bit more structure to it and, and when you lose the ball. But yeah, but Ferenc Pushkas, yeah, I think played a was a massive influence to a lot of people at South Melbourne at the time. You know, he was a legend. Yeah. And then to go on and see some of the coaches I had, yeah, along my journey um, 
as a, as a player in Greece, yeah, there was the, the tactics were, were 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 just too far gone. It was just too much involved in it, and that that sort of uh, made me see the game a little bit differently. And I came back to to Adelaide and played, and and you know, you started to I had matured a lot more as a player, and I started to see the game a little bit differently. And we had a good experience side under John Cosmino at Adelaide, and we yeah. were underdogs of the A-League and we were, I think we, we we did surprisingly to everyone really well in the first couple of years and we were very yeah. competitive. And and I think John integrated a lot of the experienced boys in, you know, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And that, again, made us have a little bit more input in the game and think about the game a bit more than just turning up and, and playing for the red shirt that we loved. And uh, then I think, honestly, Gary, I think Pep... Guardiola's played, he's been so, so much impact on every coach all over the world in seeing the game differently and coaching a little bit differently. And yeah. we were lucky enough to be playing still at the time that Barcelona was absolutely amazing, playing an amazing style of football. And, you know, when you go back and you're influenced by people like Ferenc, you're playing at South Melbourne at as a young player where it was very attacking football and the Greeks demanded yeah. that you win every week playing, you know, a particular <laughs> way. And then, uh, yeah, playing a style even in Adelaide where we wanted to play football. And all this uh, transforms the way you yeah. see the game, how you, you want it to be think about it. Yeah. And how about the formal side of your coach education, Michael? When, when did that begin for you? Yeah, it, you know, always something happens where you think it's it's uh, it's terrible, but something good always happens out of it. And it was when I, I ruptured my ACL playing for Adelaide United. Yeah. And I think it was 2007. And I was getting older, getting along at the club. And it was, I think it was about 34. And I was never going to want to go away like that and, and finish up with uh, an ACL injury and not play again for the club that I captained. And, and I actually, you know, I'd, I'd been there for quite some time and I, and I fell in love with yeah. Adelaide. And um, I, during that time, I had to take time off to to get back to fitness and that takes quite a lot of time. But the club also knew that I wanted to be a coach in the future. So they told me, look, we're going to give you another year's contract. And after that, let's... Let's see where you're going to be at as a player. You're going to be 35, but also we know that you want to be in the coaching game and you aspire to be a coach. So we're also thinking of, of you know, allowing you to work with our youth, setting up an academy here and getting some coaching experience and start you along that journey. So maybe it's time that you also do your, your coaching badges. So I yeah. started with uh, the B licence back then and, and then gone on to the A license and so on. And I was lucky enough to tell you the truth. There's always a Dutchman that's come in my path. <laughs> and maybe that's why I took so much with, with John. It was, uh, the technical director, Hamburg, at the time was very influential in, in the way I went about things. And luckily enough, he also gave me a coach's scholarship, never faced coach's scholarship. And he sent me abroad and he sent me to oh, Holland. Fantastic. FC20 at the time into Ajax and I went to to Spain as well because I had to see my, my, my favourite team, Barcelona, and the way they did things. And at the time in Barcelona, I was lucky enough to... Pochettino was working in Espanol, so I spent time watching him as well. And it was just interesting, you know, combining the badges but also travelling and seeing some of the best work and how they worked and 
it, it's really important. You learn so much combining mm. doing the theory, the theoretical and the practical <laughs> and, and learning to, to actually coach. And that was fantastic. I enjoyed doing the badges and we were also in a, in a real good group of guys and we enjoyed each other's company. And uh, it was funny because a lot of us were competitors on the pitch, but we were also competitors as coaches learning to be coaches. <laughs> you know, I had Musket, um, uh, Stevie Corica, Popovich, so you can imagine. Yeah. The so it was an interesting time. It was a good learning time. And I just think traveling and seeing some of the best you know, work and how they do things and speaking to them helped a lot as well. And then I came back and um, I continued on. Uh, obviously doing my badges, working with the youth, which I think is is a massive learning, uh, working with some of the elite youth. And yeah. I think it's important. You can you can try so many things out when it comes to philosophy. And I was on my way. I was very clear with the way I wanted to do things. I had a lot of Dutch influence. So I had a lot of influence on my football career and the way I wanted to play. And I was trying to put things together. And and honestly, Gary, you know, you, you'd watch teams that played the way you want your team to play. And if that was Barcelona, for example, back then, you, you know, you'd use your video recorder, rewind, pause, go back, try to work out what they were doing and trying to put, work out their principles and try to put, you know, exercises together that you could bring to life in your team. But then I was lucky enough that after my interim position as head coach at Adelaide, that Joseph Gambal came, Guillermo Moore came, uh, Paul Marty as well, which is a yeah. fantastic physical coach. And he was, again, Along your journey, there's always people that come along your path that are meant to be there and they help you. And that was tremendous. For me, that yeah. was four years of of really developing as a coach. And what Joseph helped me do was develop my own philosophy and really I wanted the Barcelona way. I wanted to learn that. And, you know, with their experience in the Barcelona Football Club, they were able to, to guide yeah. me and teach me and give me what, what I had learned. Mick, let's ask you a question there. I want to talk about the development of, of your coaching through the, the youth yeah. team, but I, I can't help based on this. The We've had a couple of conversations here. Obviously, developing your coaching philosophy is an important thing. You obviously love beautiful attacking football. Um, how, how do you think, where do you sit on the fact, in the reality of where you currently are with the Greek national team, as coaches, we want to play beautiful football. We want to play beautiful attacking football. And this is in our minds. We've got this image of how you do that. Um, the reality is we've got this group of players. If you're at a club, this is the group of players that you inherit. You can transfer in, you can transfer out. And, and they can do these things, but maybe not these things. So where do you sit on this spectrum of um, aspiration versus capability? Yeah, look, that, that's a, a really good question. And, you know, I've been able to work at clubs where you can really focus on on that philosophy and, and make sure that that's, that's it. That's all we're doing. That's the way we're playing. And that was the way at Pegasus That was the way at uh, Melbourne City, how we did it. And in regards to the Greek national team, we, we put in place the philosophy. And obviously with national teams, you have to really maximise the time that you have to work with them. There's not yeah. that much time. We believed that there was um, the players here can play that certain yeah. way. There's no doubt about it. They are technically good enough to play. They are tactically aware. Um, what we did see, though, is that for years and years, they've been entrenched with a defensive belief and playing. And they, like Gary, 
when it comes to training, you don't have to spend too much time on defensive organization or how you're going to press. And even yeah. if you change your your system to suit how you want to press or to suit, you know, you're playing Spain, who's a giant of football, that, that click on to that sort yeah. of stuff straight away. It's like it's ingrained, it's in the DNA. And what we didn't want to do is lose that either because that's a yeah. special part of, of the way the Greeks play here. So we wanted them to keep that. We wanted them to keep that, you know, uh, belief that defensively they are capable of controlling the game as well. But also give them the belief that as footballers, as players, they can play and they can create and, and they can enjoy playing attacking football and win games playing that way. And, you know, there's going to be games where you play against Spain and you're not going to be dominant. Spain yeah. are another level and we're still working on, you know, hopefully one day we can reach that sort of level. But but to also do that, it's got to be a whole uh, cultural shift and an idea that it can be played that way, even at, at league level, which, you know, you watch the Super League in Greece and it's not all teams play that way. So that's even yeah. a difficulty we encounter with our players as well, because a lot of them are playing a certain way at their clubs and then they're coming yeah. and we're asking for something else. So, look, you, you've got to find a balance, in particular when you play these big nations, like, mm. you know, playing Spain, away in Spain, and they were very dominant. But, you know, the... the the biggest surprise to a lot of people was when we played Sweden in in, in Athens and we had an amazing dominant display and we played really well and we won the game and, and the boys played really well where, you know, previously, in previous years, they might have defended a little bit deep and played on the counter-attack and hoped to win that way. But you've yeah. seen that, the, you know, the, the way they're thinking about the game, the way we're playing it has, has changed quite a bit. And yeah. it's love playing attacking football. There's no doubt about uh, it. It yeah. comes back to being kids in the park, like I said before. Absolutely. No, I, I like that a lot. Stay on the, the, the Greek national team. From you, You've been mainly in club land and now I think coming up for three years with the national team. From, from a coaching perspective, you obviously can't get your hands on the players anywhere near enough, albeit in Europe with the the, the Euros, the World Cup qualifiers, the, the Nations League. Now you, you probably get access to the players a bit more often the national coaches used to, but how, how do you how do you work when you you can't have access to the players every day? How do you make it work? It's a, it's, it's been a, a wonderful experience in terms of <laughs> I love I, I love being on the pitch every day, and that you know, not doing that has, has cost me, but it's taught me a lot more, and it's given me a lot of tools that I can take with me now going into clubland in the in the future. And we watch a lot of games, a lot of football. You have to analyze a lot of football. And you're, you know, we've, we've got a list of maybe 40 to 50 players that we're watching on a, on a weekly basis. So we go through that, you know, between the three coaches. Yeah. And uh, we'll have a look and we'll have meetings discussing everyone's performance. And you're watching, let me tell you, you're watching some games that you really don't want to watch. And you're really falling asleep. There are some games that you actually watch and you, and you pick out. Some oh that's interesting, you know maybe yeah. I can use that in my in my coaching. You know certain things that coaches do, because you're you're watching a diverse uh, amount of games from all over the world and all over you know mm. all over Europe. So with different coaches, different ideas. So you you learn a lot watching that. But at the same time, um, I've learned to analyse games a little bit differently compared to what I would have done in Australia because Australia 
uh, let's just, I'll put it this way. Um, back then in the A-League, it becomes a little bit, without being uh, disrespectful, it becomes a little bit monotonous. You're playing the same teams, same way. You might be playing three times a week, which I'll, I'll throw this in. That's why I'm a big believer that I can't wait for the B-League to come in and make it a little bit more exciting and, yeah. and, so on, and give an opportunity to other teams to come up and so on. But... Here, when even when I came to, to Pex Waller in Holland, I realised that every week teams played differently. Every week teams set up differently. Every week teams would press differently. They'd build up differently. You have to be prepared for that. So there's yeah. not one recipe for your team that you can keep working on all year and it's just going to work for you. So yeah. continuously, every week, you're working on, on your game model, you're working on your philosophy, but you're also tinkering and putting things in place that will suit also what you have to do with to adapt with the opposition. So, yeah. you know, with, with the national team, you might take a you, – you have to analyse in depth. And when I mean in depth, you have to be ahead of maybe what the opposition might do. So you, yeah. you it comes back to Spain, you have to think, okay, we're going to do this, but what do you think is going to happen? If we do this, they're probably going to do that, and then we're going to have to do this. <laughs> because we won't have either a lot of time to work on it on the pitch. So – we at least, and we can't give, you're not going to be able to give all that information to players. Players can yeah, take of so much information onto the pitch. But at least you're prepared to be able to give them solutions and answers at yeah. halftime, during the game, that they can, you know, they can solve on the pitch. So, yeah, analysis has gone to another, to another level and it yeah. helps you really in depth know exactly what every team's doing, what every player's going to do at an individual level, uh, knowing the players, knowing the team, knowing what they could change, going back, seeing when they play different formations, what they do when they do change into different formations. So all that sort of stuff. And then communicating to the players. It's, you know, yeah. it's amazing to think that in Australia, in the A-League, we had a you know, five-month pre-season and we'd be concerned about can we implement this philosophy. And now in Europe, you've got one month, <laughs> at a pre-season at a club. And with a national team, if you take over like we did, we had the first camp, we had three days to do a bit of work. And yeah. we didn't see much of our philosophy in those two first games back in 2019. And that was September 2019. We started to see it more in October. November was fantastic. How that yeah. on and the level of players being able to, to, to change and understand things that we wanted was, was phenomenal. But... Yeah, I can't comprehend how, you, you know, we, we used to struggle with four months <laughs> in Australia thinking we have to implement things. And then you used to yeah. get a technical director saying, don't change too much, you shouldn't change. You know, you've got to, you know, <laughs> it's amazing now with what you've got to deal with at a national team and to, to try yeah. and maximise. So like communicating and using uh, a lot of presentations and visuals helps a lot. So during yeah. my time, during, so during the last two weeks, we would have been working a lot on getting a lot prepared for individuals, uh, teams within teams, whether it's defensive line, midfield, attackers, or for the team, the presentations, that yeah. they'll be able to see visually what we want. But when yeah. I mean visually, I'd like to, I always say that these presentations have got to be that good, that perfect, that if I speak to you in Chinese, you'll understand it visually anyway. Yeah. So oh, it's a good, I like that. Yeah, and if you understand the language, you will understand it visually. And how about how do you stay in touch with them? Obviously, they've all they're all at professional clubs. They're all 
playing, you know, twice twice a week probably, uh, sometimes three times a week. How 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 do you go about communicate them when you're when they're not in camp, when you're not when you can't get them out on the grass? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit difficult because you, obviously they they belong to a club, and mm. you know you can't turn around and say, "Oh, we think you should be doing this. We think you should be doing that." We're, we're not responsible for them at their club, and obviously they play a certain way at their club. Their coaches ask for certain behaviours and, and principles to be adhered to, so we we can't have that sort of influence away. But what we can have is we have contact with them, and we you know we'll send them great goal. We let them know that we're watching, or you know great performance, or you know, some players get injured. We we want to find out how severe the injury is or if they'll be back. So we, we keep that sort of, uh, can I say, more casual contact yeah. with them. And I think, uh, especially here in Greece, uh, uh, I wouldn't want to be telling uh, <laughs> an Olympia course player or a Panathinaik course player <laughs> what to do, what they did wrong on the weekend. We have to come in our environment and they're under our responsibility. Uh, that's good. All right, mate, let, let's go back to your coaching journey a, a bit. This is, I think, the 20th conversation we've had on here, um, ranging from, um, you know, pro players that have played for the soccerers, played in the big leagues in Europe, essentially finish playing and roll straight into a, 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 an A-league or a head coaching role somewhere. Um, you've got the career coaches like Joe Montemuro that, that doesn't have the incredible professional playing career and starts coaching kids, you know, not not in the higher levels of football at age 27. Um, and more and more I'm starting, we're starting to talk to, to people like yourself that finish playing, understand that, that they love the game, start to get their licences before they finished. And then I, I just love it that Adelaide City had the foresight to prepare you for what was coming up and then give you the opportunity to start, um, you know, with the youth team as an assistant coach and then a head coach through that. And, and I'm guessing your coaching styles probably changed a bit. You probably made a few mistakes back then and, yeah. and, and did things differently. Speak to me about that, that side of the journey with Adelaide United. Yeah, look, um, yeah, when I look at it now, and, and I have this conversation a lot with younger coaches that I speak to here, it, it's, you know, you laugh at some of the things 10 years ago that, that I was doing or how I was doing it. But you've come to a stage now where, where you do realise that it's more about people. And that's what it comes down to. Back then, it was all about um, showing your knowledge and the tactical side of the game. And it was all about the training sessions and how we we're going to play this beautiful attacking football. And that's what you thought coaching was. That Well, that's what I thought it was. And it was, you know, how my team will, will mirror this philosophy of playing this attacking football and, and pressing type game. You realise now that no matter what the philosophy is, whether it's, you know, you're going to want to park the bus and play counter-attacking, you're going to want to play a beautiful attacking game, and it all comes down to relationships and people. And before you even have uh, a football philosophy, you need to have a life philosophy and you need to understand who you are, what you stand for, what you believe in, what your standards are before you even talk about a football philosophy. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't matter. It won't, it won't work. It won't come to fruition or, you know, you'll have inconsistencies along the way. And I guess that, you know, everyone's journey is a little bit different, but over time, you know, that's where I think... I've become better 
I've understood certain things that someone said, ah, what didn't you understand in the beginning? <laughs> you know, and, and that's normal. That's okay. And that's why maybe some yeah. people are, uh, are doing, you know, they start off earlier and they probably start the right way up. And that is, you know, from a, a person perspective, because footballs are humans. They're not footballers, they're yeah, humans. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, I look at it back then and, you know, I was very demanding in terms of football and intensity and the way I wanted the game played. And uh, now I realise that all that is, is all well and good and that's no problem. That's not changed. That's yeah. there. How we do it and knowing myself and understanding who I am and putting in place um, uh, values and standards that I want help carry, help carry yeah. and bring to life that philosophy and it's amazing and i'll say this gary because when when i did first start my my licenses you know i'd have uh, really good conversations with uh, with with rob and, and kelly and um, you know they'd be telling us about football philosophy and about life philosophy and we were like come on man let, let's talk <laughs> let's talk uh, formations and how we're going to attack and training sessions and to me it was like Okay, that's that's okay, and, and you know you come out of the game as a player, and that's the thing. You come out of the game as a player, and you think, ah, "How can coaching be? These guys, how can they get it wrong? You know, about our coaches. How hard can it be? You know, you just put eleven good players out on the pitch, and they'll make it happen. You motivate them a bit, but it's it's nothing like that. That's gone. Yeah. I, I think that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and it's and you learn along the way, and I guess that's what experience does, Gary. So it'd be interesting to be able to go back now. In those days, the way I am now, and yeah, not to be able to do that, but yeah. I can't. I go back into time. No, I, I love that, mate. And you've you've opened a little box. Um, I think a wise man once says that um, culture trumps strategy for breakfast every day of the week. You know, we can have the best laid plans and and the best tactics in the world, but if the culture, if our relationships with people, the values and behaviours that we have, what becomes acceptable to one another, if you don't have that, then it's bloody hard to be successful in a team environment. Well, any environment, not just the team environment, in any business or, or sport environment. Yeah, 100%. And that that learning was uh, even important to us when we came here yeah. to the because we encountered a, a, a team that was, uh, you know, since 2014 up until 2019, we, we came along, had very much underachieved as a Greek national team. And, you know, they go back to... To 2004, where they were yeah. European champions, and they were, you know, the whole place looked nothing like that. So we knew straight away at JVS before we even talk philosophy, and that's why I mentioned before that you know the first camp, the team didn't even play anything close to what we wanted in football terms. It was more about standards, putting values yeah. in place, fixing the culture, and demanding that you know uh, that's what we want. These are the behaviours we want, and we're the rest is unacceptable and we yeah. can you know certain things in that environment yeah. and uh we look at the team now and the culture of it and you know no matter what philosophy like you said or tactics they'll perform because of the you know the, the family that they are and the, yeah. the standards that they hold of each other you know you hear them before games when they talk you know it's great that a coach doesn't have to say too much because they're yeah. demanding certain things from each other so yeah that's certainly true mate it's the most important thing so as a young coach i'd always say 
uh, to any young coach now, before you even think about football philosophy, really consider your life philosophy. That's that's what I believe. And what is that? You know, what are the the values that you believe in? That no matter what, even if you're going to be tested, you know, like we were tested with the Greek national team, a player coming yeah. late to a meeting, or a player having his phone ring on the bus on the way to a game, how are you going to respond to that? You're going to let it go. Yeah. Or you, you know, all those sorts of things. You've got to be consistent yeah. over a long period of time. Um, I love that, mate, and I love I love the fact. For me, you can tell when you're winning when the holding one another accountable is coming from within the playing group and not being directed by the coaches. The, the you, you know that the cultures within the organisation when that's happening. Have you been? Are you and JVS been able to take all of the players on that journey with you to come through, or have you needed to change some of the personnel to? To, to get to that point? Yeah, we, we've certainly changed personnel. We have certainly changed personnel. And at, at the beginning, you know, we, we were getting a, a lot of pressure put on us as well in terms of some of the bigger names that were being left out of a camp. But uh, we, we, we believed in, in, you know, the team needed to change. The team needed new blood, needed younger players coming in with energy and... Uh, foresight that you know they, they want to be at the next world cup and uh, we did that and over time it takes time it takes a lot of time to change the culture it doesn't happen overnight there's no doubt about that but you have to be consistent as as coaches as well as coaching staff and yeah. from the staff and even you know what we we had to change the way the staff worked and the standards we expected from the staff and it's it's so easy from success to to go backwards and you know I think the team from 2004 till 2014 when they went to the last World Cup were doing well but after that um, I think they let standards drop and you could see that within the environment from day one when we went in so we knew straight away that you know we, we'd have to change things up yeah and we'd have to really focus on culture more than than football philosophy and the football philosophy would would come straight after that yeah. fall in place as well. So, yeah, it, it's great when you see a game against Sweden, you can actually see what you just said, where players do take responsibility, set the standard for the team, and they respond in the way they did. So, yeah, it was, yeah it's been a really good journey in terms of, of, of learning to really focus on that, put that in place. And in, a, in an environment that you don't get players too often either. So yeah. that was a challenge in itself. And, you know, and even putting um, certain ceremonies in place where we're very good at doing that in Australia, really good at doing things like that in Australia, where in, in countries like Greece, they don't really exist, you know, to celebrate uh, a player's debut in the national yeah. team. Or, you know, like how we receive our, our cap with our number on it, uh, having yeah. represented soccer is and how, what a, what a feeling that is when you receive that. So um, we even have to you know, put some of that stuff in place so the players yeah. can understand and, and speak about how important it is to them to be with the national team. And that that has helped a lot as well. So we, we've we've done a lot of other different work, uh, not just football work, in, in <laughs> regards to putting things in place in the national team. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. 
Today's guest is Michael Vancanis, Michael Vancanis, assistant coach of the Greek national team, having a great chat about coaching, what life in uh, coaching life uh, in international football, as well as the roots. So let's go back a little bit more again, Michael. So what is coaching? Yeah, what is coaching? Uh, coaching is uh, is being a leader, and it's being a leader to to help coach other people and that is not only in, in football and that's why i touched on a, a life philosophy you know you've got to really connect with the human side of the player i think and you've got to set a vision in place a vision and try to to impact the players through that vision that you have in the way yeah. you want to play what you want to achieve through playing that way and then you you need to have a process because without a process, if you haven't got an idea how to put that in place, then that vision is just going to fall away anyway. So you need to know how to act on that vision. And I think along a coaching journey, that they are the, the pieces to the puzzle that you start to put together and, and you know, what I call tools to be able to, to put in place uh, and be a coach. Because I, I think without a vision, how are you going to make these players play this way? So you've got to emotionally attached to them that you know it's going to be exciting playing this sort of attacking football that you know for example i'm using the greek national team that you know are used to defending and playing counter-attacking but we believe in the greek players technical ability to, to play football and enjoy yeah. playing attacking football and we can change that and then you've got to know you've got to act on how to put that in place so what are the processes to put that in place what training methods are you going to use you need to know that you need to know you know, how, how you're going to train that, how you're going to get those players to play that way, whether it's, you know, with, with all the work you do on and off the pitch. So it's it's about knowing the people that you need around you then to be able to deliver that. And, uh, of course, what we just spoke about, um, being able to put in place a culture and have a, an ecosystem where the people can do their best working and work yeah. Uh, to deliver their best selves because ultimately you know we, we always talk about a, a common goal and you want uh, your team to achieve this so for example we want our team to to go to the world cup but every individual there has their own goal as well so that's a common goal but every you know gary john alex peter they've also got their individual goals so my job as a coach is to help them achieve that individual goal within the team's common goal. Yeah. So to do that, I'm going to have to know everything about Gary, everything about Alex, everything about John, know what makes him tick, know how what he loves to do away from football, know his qualities and his strengths within football to be able to bring that to life as well. And to do all that, yeah, I think, again, I'm going to say it comes back to your life philosophy because you've got to connect with people because no matter how much ramble on Gary you're going to be the best attacking player and running behind we're going to play the ball we're going to score goals if I haven't connected with you you might do it once twice and then all of a sudden it's yeah. gone so yeah no, I like that that's what I think what coaching is yeah I want, want to talk a little about influence uh, in in doing the research you've Played under Cozzy, you've played under Aurelio. You mentioned Josip Gombal, Guillermo Amor, and and obviously John Van Ship. You've worked with all of those guys. They're very different people, very different um, personalities. 
I'm assuming they've all got different philosophies as well. Have you, uh, are any of those a, a coaching mentor or have you had a coaching mentor on your journey, someone that you can really talk to and open up about how you're growing and developing as a coach? Yeah, early on, um, I sort of cut the story up when I, when I mentioned Hamburger. Uh, again, another Dutchie that came in, in my path and he was a, a mentor early on. Uh, he kept close tabs with me when I first started coaching, and and obviously, uh, you know, he gave me the scholarship and sent me away to learn yeah. a lot more and, and develop myself. And he was he was great. He was great to talk to and and you know talk about the youth and so on to him and, and the way I wanted to play. And later on, my mentor stayed on as it was more Joseph Gambale. So yeah. even after we left from Adelaide, and I went to to Melbourne City. Uh, uh, I, I, and I still make, have contact with Joseph and we speak about football and so on. Um, look, I think it's very important. You don't, as, look, when I first started, I, I didn't have that much contact with with a lot of other coaches or, or speak. And maybe that was a little bit of my personality as well. And, you know, I keep things close to my chest. Now, now I see the importance of, of talking a lot to to different coaches and, and different people, and that's what I've done. You know, since 2016, um, uh, a more diverse outlook. Yeah. Uh, in particular, to the way I want the game played. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and and even watching teams, I won't really watch teams that don't play that sort of football. I, I like to really spend my time watching teams because I, I get a lot of that anyway, <laughs> analysing our own players. But um, you know, I love to watch, you know, coaches with similar philosophy and, and to learn as much as I can from. But I think, yeah, it's, it's really important to be able to, especially if those coaches have those similar philosophies, I think they can help a lot in having that. And, and for that to work properly, there's got to be um, a great deal of trust in those relationships, hasn't there? Yeah, one hundred percent. And with uh, I don't know, back in two thousand and fourteen with Joseph, we we also clicked from the very beginning, straight away. You know, we and I, I don't know whether that's football wise that makes you click, and then you you know your your values are very similar in in terms of the way you go about life and what you believe and and your standards and and so yep. on you expect and. Yeah, well, I was at that time. I was able to be very open and honest with him at an important part of my coaching career. He gave me a huge responsibility with the senior team uh, working under him, but also um, guiding me uh, as a youth coach in charge of the youth team. And during yeah. those four years, Gary, it was there's nothing like working and and doing it practically and learning from it. Because those four years, I was able to do it with the senior squad every morning. And I would be with uh, Joseph and Paul and Guillermo from 8 o'clock in the morning discussing football. Uh, 10 o'clock, there was always a training session. I'd have my responsibilities. I'd do what I had to do. We'd finish up with discussing football again. At 3 o'clock, those guys would still be at it. Joseph would actually say to me, Michael, I think you better go and see your family because then you've got youth team training. So go pick up the kids from school, leave us to it now because you've got a responsibility with the youth. And then I'd go pick up the boys, go back home, speak to my wife a little bit. <laughs> as much as she it should be great. To, we should be into the wives, really, not coaches. 
And, you know, I'd be off to youth training where I'd be in charge of my team, team of coaches, our people, and we really put in place a great environment back in those days, LA United. And yeah. a great group of, of coaching staff, great boys. We worked with them, I'd be back home at 9 o'clock at night. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'd be working from 8 o'clock in the morning, so to 9 o'clock at night, it was football, I had great people around me, and I was able to practice. That was four years. That was done yeah. for four years. That's how you improve as a coach, actually doing it and getting out yeah. there, getting ahead of dirty, being active, trying things and having good people next to you that can mentor you when you, when you do get stuck. They can give you some advice. And that was those four years were huge. And, and that was a, a very successful period for the club as well. The, um, they won the FA Cup, FFA Cup in 2014, 15, 16. Uh, they did the double, uh, I think, the premiership and the championship. And, and then... Um, you as head coach of the year team won the um, the conference championship as well, yeah? Yeah, we won the, the conference championship, got uh, promoted to MPL 1 yeah. with our boards that first year. But one of the, the things that people really forget about those days was the amount of boys that came through the youth mm. and played for the senior team. And that had a lot to do, not with me or with the other staff, it had a lot to do with the way we worked senior team, youth team. Yeah. And there was one common philosophy. There was common methodology. And the boys were able to to adapt through a game model that existed in the youth and the senior team. And Joseph was able to say, I need a right back. Get Gary from the youth straight away up. No problem. And he believed in the work we were doing. And that yep. was huge as well to allow the boys to believe that there's an opportunity. And a lot of boys came through uh, that area to play. And a lot of them, okay, didn't stay on Adelaide United, but there were a lot that moved on to other A-League clubs, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, job well done. But Absolutely. it also taught me that period was was huge in teaching me how to be able to put that together as well. Because, you yeah. know, there's not – we don't have the budgets to be able to do what they do here in Europe or what they were doing at Pex even not a huge budget, but a budget that they're able to do wonderful things in the, their academy. But – it taught me how to do things with with smaller budgets, and that anything, you, you know, you, nothing's impossible. Like yeah. sometimes we think uh, we need this, we need that, we need money to do this, that. We found ways to to help our players to have a professional environment as much as we could with the resources we had. Yeah. And you need to be creative, you need to be innovative, and we did that. And with the help and guidance of obviously Joseph back then, and with a common philosophy. We, we had a lot of success, not only winning silverware, but developing People. players as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that, mate. It's great when it all comes together. Um, Michael, being a, an old dealer sale boy down here, growing up, you played football. I'm guessing you probably had a kick of an AFL ball. You might have had a go at cricket during the summer because that's sort of <laughs> life growing up yeah. in Melbourne. Have, have coaches from uh, outside of football had any influence over your career? Have you looked at what other people are doing or what other games are doing and got any great nuggets from there? Yeah, 100%, Gary. You're like, obviously, there's some great football coaches that we look at. Um, and, you know, the, we always know they're the Guardiolas, they're the, the Klops of this world, and even Ange Postacoglu, our own Australian coach, which has been amazing. Uh, yeah. Fantastic person to be able to look up to and to, to aspire to be like. Um, but, you know, there's there's people in, in other codes that can be, you know, great to watch and learn from. And, you know, I, I like to look at some of the um, 
the the NFL coaches and, and read a lot of their books and NBA coaches. They're very interesting uh, in reading how, you know, sometimes these guys are very creative, how they go about their work and how they really focus a lot as well on, on not so much the philosophy of the actual sport, but the philosophy of life and how yeah. they change environments. And you tend to see that a lot in, in the American sports. Um, but I was always a Collingwood supporter as well. Okay, I don't know. A lot of people will probably say, Collingwood, what are you doing being a Collingwood supporter? But <laughs> I love being a Collingwood supporter. And during uh, uh, my later playing days, where I was coming towards the end, you know, Collingwood were playing really good football and, and Malthouse was a tremendous coach. So you'd look at the way he was and the way he, and he had tremendous success, you know, with the West Coast Eagles and, and Collingwood themselves. So, yeah, he, he was also someone that, I looked up to him the way he went about his coaching, the way he spoke in the media, and how he went about his job and 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 his environments and his his culture. So, I think there's there's heaps we can learn from from coaches on the outside, not necessarily yeah. just the, uh, coaches from our code. Yeah. Ah, oh, thanks for that. I, I like that a lot. And for anyone that doesn't understand it, if you um, if you moved to Melbourne or you emigrated to Melbourne or you grew up in Melbourne, um, not having an AFL team is sacrilege. You get actually kicked out of the city. So, all 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 football people down here have to have an AFL club. It's compulsory. <laughs> is that fair? Is that a fair comment, Mick? No, that's well. Look, you, you grow up in 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 a state that's all AFL. So you. You know, I, I played football for South Melbourne, but Collingwood was was a love. Yeah. You just had, you know, I was a black and white guy. I had to support Collingwood, and growing up in an era where they were they were doing really well. So, yeah, I think uh, kicking the AFL ball was normal in Dillarsell days. Gary, you mentioned Dillarsell <laughs> going Dillarsell, and, and that's the that's you know you look at kids growing up here. It's a little bit different. You know, I looked at kids in Holland. It was yeah. a little bit different. Um, so in Holland, you walk the streets, and there was a park with a five-a-side uh, court pitch, yeah. call it what you want, nearly in every corner. My boys absolutely love living in Holland because they could just walk across the road. There was a five-a-side ground to play on. Here in Greece, a little bit different. There's not that much room for that, but there's basketball courts everywhere. So you'll see that a lot of even footballers end up playing football. They love playing basketball when we're young. But us in Australia, yeah. we grew up playing AFL, uh, <laughs> playing cricket in the summer, playing tennis. You know, so yeah. we, we, we do range of sports and, and we love all sorts of sports. But, yeah, that's one thing that I noticed in Holland where it's a, it's a little bit different. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to grow up just playing football. Yeah. Hey, Mick, changing track just a bit, I haven't taken a lot of um, questions from, from people over the journey, but I had someone reach out this week and say that they're a, um, a young developing coach uh, from Canberra. Uh, and asking just how people at the pointy end of the game, like yourself, deal with social media. Uh, I, I know you've got a Twitter handle because that's how we made initial contact here. Do you, what? How do you one? How do you participate with social media? And and how do you? Do you have you got any advice for dealing with the keyboard warriors, or do you just sort of ignore them? How how does social media impact you as a coach? Yeah. Okay. That's that's a great question. Um, and it's an important one uh, because, look, social media uh, existed even in my early, earlier days when I first started coaching and I was interim coach at, in Adelaide and, and uh, Melbourne City, and in particular Melbourne City where I, I had, you know, the uh, Twitter, Twitter account, and you're going to get people that want to 
want to speak their mind and, and say what they want. And unfortunately, look, the, the world has, has gone, it, it's difficult. I speak to my boys about this all the time because it's, it's, it's opened the platform for any, and sorry to say, Tom, Dick and Harry to speak and have an opinion about mm. the game. And early on, I might have been affected by, by someone saying something. Now I don't read. I don't. And, and look, you learn to be uh, even coaching here at national team level with the amount of media here. It, social media doesn't really matter because <laughs> the amount of media, <laughs> very critical here, newspapers and, yeah. and TV channels and TV shows, uh, nearly every channel's got their own football program that can be critical well. It's, it's part of the game. So, look, social media, if you're going to be on it and you want to be on it, it's going to be part of – you have to accept it, that people are going to have their, yeah. their opinion and it, you're going to open the door to any Tom, Dick and Harry to say whatever they want to say. But it's how you respond to it and I tend not to worry about it. I'll yeah. put on there what my football of philosophy, things that I like from football, uh, things that I like from, from leadership and uh, – stuff about culture and stuff that I believe in and and yeah. I would endorse and put on there and things I love. But I try to keep uh, uh, my personal life personal as well, so I won't put too much personal stuff on there. It's more just about football and philosophy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you're going to get people in, and, and I put something up there after the game against Sweden and I always win, draw, lose, it doesn't matter. I think it's important to put yeah. up your message and what you think. And because as a coach, to me, it doesn't matter what anyone has got to say. Not anyone. I shouldn't say that. Someone that is not involved directly with the work I do. Because we believe in the way we work. We believe I believe in my process. I believe that I can fix the problem that exists. So if something yeah. doesn't go right and I don't win, I don't sit there going all emotional and go, oh, shit, am I going to fix this? I know because I have a game model, I have a philosophy, I have a method, yeah. I have a process that we're going to fix that and we're going to fix it within our group. So if anyone on the outside isn't able to tell me how to do it, then why listen to them? Okay, yeah. because usually... A lot of these people if you go on, they don't they you know, they can tell you you've lost or you've drawn or you've played crap, but they can't tell you why. No, of course. No. It's it's I think it's probably a part of the for a modern day coach, it's a part of the whole resilience package. It's another area where you've got to develop resilience if you're going to open it and read it. There's the, the truth is there's, there's going to be a few clips around the, the head, whether it's uh, – and I think one of the things I found from Twitter is the truth is whatever you say it is. It's got nothing to do with reality. Truth is whatever comes out of my mouth apparently. Um, so, yeah, I, what are your thoughts on that? How important is resilience for coaches? Oh, mate, if you're not resilient, if you haven't got thick skin, if you don't believe in what you do, you, you won't be able to continue. It's a tough job. I – I recently told someone it's a little bit because you, you do work in an industry that's results driven. We know that. And uh, I, I once remember my CEO at Adelaide United saying, Michael, you romanticize a lot. It's all about results. Son. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, 
Gary, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna romanticize and I'm gonna play football this way. And you know, you live and die by your own sword. Yeah, you're a you romanticist, you know, you don't survive in the end. You've got to be a little bit more pragmatic than <laughs> me. Uh, so Glenn, Glenn Elliott was his name, and he was uh, always giving me uh, information and, and info to, to not be a romanticist. But no, I think you have to, you know, really believe in how you do things and you're resilient. It, it's part of coaching. You have to be resilient. You have to uh, find solutions. You have to help people. You have to get people up. You have to have energy. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have a bad result. The next day, you've got to get up. You've got to have you've got to be the first to have that energy to to inspire people again and get them going because it's it's amazing how emotional this game can get. And and you remind me days of how emotional I used to get when I was a, a younger coach yeah. and, and first started out because results affect a lot of people. Mm. They that affect a lot of people and. In particular, at the the high end, supporters can go absolutely crazy. But yeah. you've got to be consistent. You've got to stand your ground, and you've got to um, really be clear and lead people towards your vision, regardless. You know, if you get get some bumps along the way, it's just life. It's life yeah. in general. Football is life in general. You just got to keep going, and you've got to be resilient. So. Yeah, it's reminding me a little bit of some of the conversations I've had to have with, with my sons recently because they've, you know, started their soccer career and their yeah. academy. So, you know, it's not all uh, a linear path to success, is it? It doesn't it just... It is not. No, there's a few ups and downs along the way, that's for sure. And it's amazing. And I, and I mentioned previously, you know, during my career, the downs are sometimes the present that you receive. Yeah. The downs are the learning. The downs are... What can make you better? You don't realise at the time, but you know when yeah. time does pass, you realise that did help that situation. That, that yeah, we we've had that conversation on here plenty of times, Michael. It's in our game, we love winning. You know, it's great to get the trophy. It's great to get the three points. It's great to get the win. Um, we don't always get the learning sometimes that we need to from wins, but we invariably get them from the losses. Yeah. Yeah, the, the slap in the face, you usually have to, you know, you think, oh, what, what went wrong? And you really got to – but but that's that's also a learning as well, Gary, to be able to learn from the yep. loss or the mistakes because I think you have to be humble enough to be able to say, I stuffed up, and to look in the mirror and say, okay, how can I improve? And there's lots of times where – and I think that's the only way you can improve and get better as a coach is to be able to reflect and say, yep, I'm not good at A, B, C, I did D, E, F, and then I need to improve there. If you don't do that, yeah. you're not going to improve. So you need to have that humility and to be humble enough to be able to say, yeah, okay, I'm not the best, I'm not the greatest, but yeah. how am I going to get there? You know, and you learn yeah. from those mistakes. If you're not like that, um, you're not going to look at a loss like that. You're going to look to blame everyone and everything else, and you're not going to improve anymore. No, you're probably not going to last much longer either. <laughs> um, all right, mate. We're on the um, we're on the downhill run here. Uh, on the downhill run now. A couple of questions to go. What what for you does success look like? Good question. Success is uh, it can be a lot of things, and you know it's a little bit like uh, you've got your main goal. And you've got your goal that you you know you want to win the World Cup, for example. 
But success could also be um, going to a World Cup. So I'm using this as an example. It's not necessarily success. Success is, you know, being able to 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 achieve what you vision. So to be able to to see something come to life into reality. Um, success is a lot of things. In, in football, it can be so many things because, like I said, you've got 20, 30 people in the environment. You've always got that common goal, which that might be the World Cup, but everyone within there has got their individual goals. Success is how can I help each individual achieve whatever goal that is that he has and at the same time achieving the common goal of everyone. And when you when you think about it, geez, that's hard work, isn't it? It's, <laughs> but you've got to love it. You've got to be able, you've got to love that you can help someone and, and, and feel that happiness that they achieve, their personal success, but at the same time, you know, you can, you can get that win on the weekend. And, and that personal success might be, you know, helping a young player achieve his first debut and, and playing for the national team for the first time. What a feeling that is. You know, you remember yeah. the first time you played for the national team and you can feel what, what that player is feeling. That's, and you've given him that opportunity. That's, that's a, that's a successful feeling. You know, that, that guy's done another yeah. step in his career. That, that's great. And that's success for the coach as well, yeah. because he's helped someone. Um, yeah. Success is that feeling, you, you know, when, when you've done something from what you've envisioned and you're helping people and you're, you're creating something special. That is success. And success along that, I guess what I'm leading to is success isn't always at the end. And it, it's great. It could be going to World Cup and winning a World Cup, but it could be all those bits in between that have happened along the way, along the journey, that we have to be mindful of and know that as coaches, yeah, we, we've succeeded in, in, in yeah. Another part of the journey, of course, because the journey's long. It's long, and um, yeah, success—you you feel it. You feel like it. That. It's a emotion. It's a happiness. It's uh, and it's not necessarily always you, but it could be you feel it from from your teammate, or you feel yeah. it from the player that you coach. Uh, thanks, mate. Okay, final one for you then. If you could offer one piece of wisdom to coaches, whether they're on the beginning of their journey, in the middle of their journey, at the end of their journey, one piece of wisdom that you could offer about coaching, what would that be? Uh, <laughs> it could be heaps, huh? No, number one, and I'll go back to what we've spoken about because I really do believe in it. It's uh, really, really um knowing yourself really sitting down looking in the mirror and saying you know who am i who am i going to be who 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 really am i what do i stand for what do i want in this environment what are the standards i want who what are my values that will come out and they will show to the group like that they will feel it they will know it because they're consistent over time and and I think that's what makes the environment and it's very important to really know that and then the rest will take care of itself in terms of football philosophy. That will come to life through knowing yourself and 
being able to bring that in the environment. And that is a little bit about being really authentic, isn't it? It's about, you know, it's everyone's got different values. And, we, you know, we haven't got hundreds of values, but these values that really drive the way we go about life and the way we're going to go about coaching in an authentic way to bring this philosophy to life. And I think that, you know, and maybe I'm saying that is one piece of the number one piece of wisdom because that's what I've seen is yeah. what's been a game changer to me and it's helped me become a better coach. So, you know, when, when the Kelly crosses of this world and, um, and Rob mentioned, you know, all this sort of stuff to us early on in our, in our licenses, really take note and really think about it more than, than, than watching games of football or formations and the tactical side because it's, uh, it's so important. Great place to finish, Michael. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom and your generosity today in joining us from an early morning in, in sunny downtown Athens. We wish you and John Van Schip and the Greek national team very well in the, in the middle of a um, very important World Cup qualifying campaign. Third in the group, a couple of games less than a lot of the teams, some fantastic recent results. So all power to you. Go Thanks, Greece. Guys. Thanks. Yeah, well, look, we've got a, we've got a big, uh, big camp coming up. We have got to play uh, Georgia away and Sweden away. So it's going to be a, a, a make or break for sure. But we're really looking forward to the challenge. I think it's going to, you know, the last camp was was fantastic in terms of the way the boys responded against Sweden. Yeah. Sweden's a, a great team. So we're really looking forward to, to the challenge ahead. Look forward to those values and behaviours shining through. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. If you've enjoyed today's chat with Michael Bancanis, please go to footballcoachesoz.org.au. Find out a bit more about the organisation. You can buy membership, renew a membership, or just find out a bit more about coaching football in Australia. You have a great day. Mm-hmm.